Courtney and I were uh, cleaning out our garage uh, one day. We hadn't lived in this house very long, and uh, we were working on the garage like the whole day. We had the garage door open, and that night we went to bed, and about 7 a.m., my wife, she woke up, and she shook me violently, and she said, Chris, there is a snake in our bed. And uh, I thought that she was just kind of dreaming, you know, so I kind of elbow her, and I say, hey, honey, it's okay. Like, go back to sleep. So about that time, she screams. She grabs the blanket. She throws it up, and there literally is a snake, like, slivering out of the bed. So my wife, she doesn't like snakes or mice or anything like that. She jumps up. She screams, and she says, I'm moving out unless we get rid of the snake problem. She needs a hero. She is a damsel in distress. So I am up for that task because I'm not afraid of snakes. And I jumped up and I grabbed my sword. And actually it wasn't a sword. It was like these tongs that you grill with, you know. And I'm like looking for the snake. And uh, I find it. It's in our dresser. It's open about this much, you know. It's curled up in there. So I went and I grab it and I take it outside. I let it go and it's not over yet. My damsel is still in distress. She's yelling at me to kill it. I grab a two-by-four and I kill that snake. And uh, I walk up. She jumps into my arms. I am her hero. I walk across the threshold. She gives me a kiss, and then we go back to bed. So I was her hero. I say it didn't actually, it's a true story. It didn't really happen like that. She didn't jump in my arms. Like I came up there, and she said, why'd you let that snake in here? You know, it was kind of what happened. But, but we all like stories like that, don't we? Like good, evil like a hero to come in and save the day. We love stories like that because we live in a world where we need that. And you might need that right now. Sometimes you might want to be that. You might want to rescue somebody. And I think we all like those stories. I brought some of these. uh, I want you to try to guess what movie this is. And this is a movie of good and evil, and there's a hero, okay? so And I think you guys like this too. I think you'll be able to guess. Like, let's put up the first one, okay? Anybody know who this guy is? Princess Bride. What was his name? Yeah, his name was Wesley. He was a servant, then a pirate, and then a hero, right? So he comes in and he saves the day. What about the next one? Who's that? James Bond, right? Yeah. Like I go and watch James Bond, and afterwards, for some reason, I think I can fight after I watch a James Bond movie. Uh, so James Bond, what's another one? Okay, anybody know who this is? Who is it? Yeah, you're right. That's Edmund Dantes. Like, he's uh, Count of Monte Cristo. So, like, he went and got his revenge on someone. That's a little bit harder. How about this next one? Anybody know who that is? That is Robocop. I think, no, I'm joking. It's Darth Vader. So, Darth Vader was like, he turned good, like, at the end, right? He helped his son out. What about the next one? Okay, and that that is, uh, I think his name is Fabio. Uh, I see a lot of those books in Ryan's office. He told me that he comes in, saves the day. So, you know, he's, I guess, a good guy. But, but we like characters like that. And today, like, we're going to talk about the red line. So the red line is this woven red line of Jesus, and it goes from Genesis to Revelation, okay? He's, he's woven, like, throughout the Bible. And what you see in this red line is, is good. You see evil. You see people that need rescue. And you see a hero that becomes our Savior. And we're going to start with, in Genesis with the fall. And we see... In this story, too, in this account, this true story, that in the fall, there's, you're going to see good, you're going to see evil, 
You're going to see people that need rescued. You're going to see a, a hero. So let's set up the setting here. So it starts Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden. Okay. So in the Garden of Eden, there was no shame. All right. So if you could imagine that, uh, we've all grew up like kind of feeling shame and guilt, things like that. There was no shame in the Garden of Eden. Both man and animals ate plants for food. That's in Genesis 129 and 30. So there, we didn't have to kill animals to eat. Okay, animals didn't try to attack us. We kind of lived in harmony together. God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Genesis 2, 8. So, so they ate, you know, fruit from the trees or food from the trees that was good and pleasing to the eye. And God said it was very good. And God also walked amongst them. It said, and we'll read later on that in the cool of the day that he was walking in the garden and he was amongst uh, Adam and Eve. So they had God in their presence. They were living in harmony with the animals. They didn't have to worry about clothes. They didn't have to worry about food, and all is good. Okay? And then the villain comes into the, to the story. So the villain is the serpent, all right, which is Satan. And I want you to read this with me. And when we read, like when we get to the orange part, the highlighted part, I want you to read it with me, okay? It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the first thing we see that he does, Satan, I want to mention first, like they mention him. So Satan is real. Like we believe he's real. He's not a vampire. He's not uh, Frankenstein. He's not a ghoul. He's a goblin. He's, he's a real person. Okay. He's real. And we believe in him. So and the first thing he does, his tactic, is he questions God's word. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? All right? So, and then uh, she answers him. She's the woman. We can go to this next one. It says, and read this with me, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil, okay? So before that, Eve's response to him, she said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die, okay? So one, Eve, she said, God actually said that they could eat freely from that, okay? She said, may eat. Eve said, don't eat or touch, and God never said anything about touching it. Eve said, lest you die, and God said, you will surely die. Uh, so, and then Satan, he comes along and he reverses God's word. He said, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, and he's right. They won't be like God, but they will know good and evil. So the first thing he does is he comes in and he kind of mixes up God's word. He gets Eve a little bit confused, and he goes after in that way. And part of following God from Genesis in the beginning till now is like God wants you to know his word. Okay? He wants you to know the Bible. Uh, I know things about my wife because I study her. I know, like, my wife hates E.T., okay? If I, like, want to joke around and I put E.T. on the television, I know the rest of the day it's going to be a really bad day for me, okay? She doesn't like that. I know she doesn't like Mexican food. I mean, there's things I know about her because I pay attention to her because I love her. 
And the Bible is the same way. It's kind of how we know about God. It's a manual that we can use. Manuals are good. We use them. If you ever try to put anything together without a manual, and I have, it sometimes doesn't work. Here's some manuals, like this one here, car manual. Anybody ever use their car manual? I do. I'm not a mechanic, and I know especially with electronics that are in the cars now that that we need that. Next one is a... That's an Ikea store manual. So, like, if you ever buy anything from Ikea, it takes forever to put together. Ryan and I had, we put together two couches. It took us half the day, and I almost broke this thumb not using the manual, okay? Next one is toys, like Christmas Day. When the kids get toys, you look at them, you think, hey, that's going to be really easy to put together. And you know what? It's usually not, okay? So, so there's that. And there's, there's things that I wish we had manuals for in life. You can go to the next one. That is, like, for our kids. I mean, my son, like, he's getting ready to go into the teenage years, and I wish that, like, there was a manual that told me what to do about that. Now when I, like, try to wrestle with him, he used to laugh and giggle, and now he goes, like, whatever, Dad, like, stop it, you know. So I wish there was a manual for that. Next one is, like, my wife, you know. I wish there was a manual for that. Sometimes with her, like, you know, and men, I know you can relate with me on this. Don't back down. Like, I'll say, hey, babe, what's wrong? And she'll say like this, nothing. And that's like the kiss of death, right? Or like if I'll say, hey, babe, where do you want to go eat? And she'll say, well, I don't care. Well, that's not true. Like, she does care, you know? And sometimes I wish, like, there was a manual for that. Like, what happens? What about the next one? Like, your boss, you know? Like, when, when he comes in and he's throwing coffee at everybody and he's mad and he's yelling and he's cussing at, no, I'm just, he doesn't do that, but like, you know, we need manuals for that. But here's the thing, like, we have a manual, okay, and the manual is timeless. Like, you can go to that next one. I found this, ladies, this is the Good Housewife's Guide, okay, this is in the 50s, okay, and it says this, if you want to please your husband and make him happy, one is have dinner ready, plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. Sounds beautiful. So... It says, prepare yourself, right? Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair, and be fresh-looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. So ribbon in your hair. Be a little cheerful and and more interesting for him. His boring day may need a lift, and one of your duties is to provide that for him. Like, so... uh, Make the evening his. Never complain if he comes home later or goes out to dinner or other places of entertainment without you. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure and his very real need to be at home to relax. Don't greet him with complaints or problems. Arrange his pillow and offer to take off his shoes. (laughs) Speak in a low, soothing, pleasant voice. Okay? Now, this is absolutely outdated, right? I mean, like, this, this doesn't happen today, and, you know, if it did, that'd be cool, I guess, but, like, but, it, but it doesn't. Like, so, but the truth is, non-joking, like, we have a manual that can guide our lives, and it's powerful. Second uh, Timothy three fourteen and 16 says, But as far as you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it says all scriptures is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching 
rebuking, correcting, and training, okay, that encompasses everything that makes up this life. Every circumstance will fall into one of those categories. Every painful story, every promising season, every powerless situation, every person here has been given a God-breathed gift that can move you towards a walk that you won't regret. And in here it says useful, and that word useful can be uh, translated into profitable. Profitable, we're not talking about getting paid, but they're saying it's, it's good for you. It's good for you to read the Bible. And from a logic standpoint, we need a Bible. Why would God go through all that trouble to send his son and not leave a Bible? Why would God send his son and watch him die a painful death and not leave us a manual for life? How would God, how would he judge us if he didn't leave us something that we can judge standards by and that we would know him by? And I believe that God inspired 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years to write 66 different books, and God breathed it into those who wrote it. And now we get to read it, and we get to grow from it. And it is a book that can change our lives. Now, so he tempted them with the word, like he was trying to twist the word, and he also tempted them with the one thing they couldn't have. So he tempts them with being like God. They had everything, like God was with them. They had food, they had clothes, they lived in harmony. They were in the garden, and Satan tempts them, saying that they could be like God. And he does that today. He still tempts us. Keegan, uh, our children's minister, we like to go shopping together sometimes for clothes, okay? So Keegan sometimes will... When we go, he'll like pick out the he picked out these pants. And they had like teddy bears and stuff on them. They're like eighty bucks. They were Ralph Lauren. And he said, "I think I'm gonna get these pants." And I said, "Before we leave, he says he's not gonna buy anything." Okay, so he said, "I think I'm gonna get these pants." And I'll say, "You need to get those pants. You deserve them. You work hard. You need them." Like, and then he'll say, "Oh, I'll quit trying to get me." And I'll say, "No, no, man. You deserve those pants, dude. And they look great on you." So you need to get him. So he ends up buying them. And then afterwards, he's like, you made me impulse buy, but I like to tempt him and try to see if I can get him to buy. Someday he's going to buy a new Mustang. I think I can talk him into it. But, like, you know, Satan is like that with us. He tries to get us. He tempts us with things that we don't have. We don't focus on the things that are great in our lives. We focus on the things that we don't have. Maybe your marriage isn't going well. You know, maybe you go to the office and there's somebody there that you might flirt with. Or maybe you're in a room by yourself, you know, and and you know there's websites that you have a hard time with and and you're going to click on those websites and you know that you're going to regret it. Or maybe you're going through an addiction and you've done good and, and that is looking really awesome right now. He tempts us with those things still today. So we have we have Satan and then we have the ones that need saved, Adam and Eve. It said, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her poor defenseless husband, and he was, okay, like he, was, he was there the whole time. He wasn't defenseless. He was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, 
you can relate to me, like, I think we all kind of have this one kind of dream, okay? Like, and you, you have this dream and you go out in public somewhere and you look down and, oh, you, like, you don't have any clothes on. You're naked, you know? And usually that dream has a lot of, like, shame and trying to hide, right? And, and trying to find clothes to put on, unless you're weird, you know? That's what you do. I mean, so they discovered that they had no clothes on. And then they hid from him. Like, so they're... They were with God. Everything had been positive. They, they wanted to see God. They were in communion with God. They eat this. They know good and evil, and now they hide from him. When I was 16 years old, I just turned 16. I had to be 16 in a month to get my license. Hey, I was 16 in probably two days. I was at my house. I had a car. My mom had left for the weekend to stay the night at my aunt's, and I was home by myself. I wanted to go do something, and I thought, you know, I'm almost 16, like, so my keys are sitting there. I called some friends, and I went, and I took my car, and uh, I picked them up, and we went to the movies in Salem, Indiana, and then we drove back. It's all good. Never got caught, okay? The next day, I thought, like, we'll do this again. So they get my car, and we go cruising around and driving around, and I actually rear-end somebody, okay? Not only do I rear-end somebody... But I back up, and then I run. So I rear-ended them, and then I left. You know, and, and then I went home. The, my car is all damaged in the front, and I park it kind of close to the house where my mom and dad, they can't see it. And uh, I just go in, and I start thinking about prison, you know, and what that's going to be like for me, I guess. Like, I start, you know, thinking about how to make shanks, and I better start lifting. You know, I, I really am scared. You know, I start thinking about, like, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe I did this. I'm not going to get my license now. You know, and I, I was not, no way, going to tell my parents about it. No. Like, so you know, as long as I could, I hit it, tried to think about what to do. And it was about two weeks that went by, and I just couldn't take it anymore, so I went and told my mom. And uh, my mom, I didn't know this, but her and my dad, they knew the whole time, okay? They were letting me sweat it out. So my dad, actually, the person I ran into was actually like one of my dad's friends, and he knew me. And like, so his vehicle was not hurt, you know, so he didn't report it, and he wasn't going to press charges or anything like that. And uh, I was so thankful, like, once I told them. And they told me, they was like, hey, you know, when things like this happen, you need to come to us. When, when things get bad, like, you need to come to us because we are going to help you because we love you and we care about you and we're going to walk with you. And I think, like, here you see them, they do something. Okay, They only had one thing that they had to do, right? They, you don't eat from that tree, and they did it. And then they hide from God. And we do that, don't we? Sometimes we mess up or sometimes we do something and, and we'll go and we'll, like, read something by Oprah or whatever, and we will not, like, talk to God. But God wants us to talk to him. He wants to be with us. And we need to talk to him. So just as he asked Adam and Eve, the Lord is asking you today, where are you? So he asked him that, like in the garden, where are you? Now, usually if God asks a question, it's not for uh, his benefit, it's for the person's. He's asking Adam, you know, where are you? So Adam, like he ate from the tree, he did something he shouldn't have done. And God is asking a soul and heart question, Adam, where are you? And today he asks us the same thing. Like, where are you? You know, are you feel distant from God? It might be that you 
are the one that moved and not him. Third thing is this, the hero, of course, and that is God. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And here he promises, this is the first time they talk about Jesus in Genesis, okay? He says, you will bruise his heel, and he's talking about the cross, and he will crush your head, and he's talking about Jesus crushing Satan. First time it's ever mentioned, and he promises a savior. Blood has to be shed after they ate of the fruit. He goes and he sheds blood of an animal to clothe them. Right? And we see throughout the Old Testament there's bloodshed for the covering of sins, and he's promising the ultimate sacrifice whose blood is going to be shed for us, a hero that will rescue us and make amends. And I think many Christians have the wrong idea about what God did to sin and guilt in that garden. They think that God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, chewed them out, cursed everything in sight, kicked them out of the garden. You know, so my wife and I, we have this conversation a lot, and it, it kind of goes like this. I, she says, uh, you don't ever clean. And I'll say, no, I clean all the time. You don't ever clean. She'll say, no, I clean all the time. I never see you cleaning. Like, we go back and forth like that. We got four kids. I don't know when our house was cleaned the last time. But I know this. Like, she said that once, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, every time the house is a mess real bad, I'm going to take pictures of it, okay? And then I'm going to take pictures of it after I clean it. And then that way when she says this again, you know, I can show her. So I did that a lot. Took a lot of pictures of the house being a mess. Took pictures of me cleaning it afterwards. And then uh, I was waiting, you know, for the right time. I just want to let you know this is not a smart thing for you to do. Like, but the next time she said, hey, house is a mess, I said, well, look at these pictures. So I showed her the dirty pictures. Uh, and she, like, I didn't even get to show the clean ones because she goes, you know what? There's something wrong with you. Like, you're crazy. There's something wrong with you. Like, and she's right. You know, what kind of person does that? I mean, some weirdo. Like, and here's the thing. Like, I think we have this picture of God like he's like that. Like, he's just waiting for us to, to lower the spiritual boom, you know, that, that when we do something wrong, he's going to throw all these pictures out on the table and he's going to say, hey, like, look at all this stuff that you have done. And because that, we fear going to him. Or when we mess up, like, we can't raise our hand in worship. Or we can't pray to him. But the truth is, like, just like my parents wanted me to come to them, God wants you to come to him. Like, when you ask for forgiveness, man, those pictures are gone. Like, he gets rid of them. And he wants to work with you. So, the picture of God in Genesis, rather we see God graciously seeking guilty sinners and providing for their restoration. He promises victory over the tempter, over Satan. And you might think that you can't take Satan on, and it says that he's crafty, and you're right. You can't by yourself, but you can with God, and he offers that today.